This week's episode of Extra Serving is sponsored by Belgioioso Cheese. Belgioioso Cheese is a family-owned and operated company specializing in artisan Italian cheesemaking. Using only natural ingredients and fresh local Wisconsin milk, master cheesemakers handcraft a full line of exceptional cheeses guided by a commitment to quality and a respect for tradition. Ask your distributor about Belgioioso's award-winning fresh mozzarella, burrata, ricotta, mascarpone, American grana, and parmesan. At Belgioioso, every cheese is a specialty. Cool. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Let's just see where it takes us. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Extra Serving, a restaurant industry podcast by The Last Bite Network, a product of Nation's Restaurant News and Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Holly Petrie, here with the latest episode. Before we get into that, here is some news from The Last Bite Network that's been happening in the past few weeks. Be sure to check out the latest episode of Takeaway with Sam Okus with Don Fox of Firehouse Subs, where they discuss the recent acquisition of the brand by RBI and what it means for Firehouse Subs. And now it's time to introduce my two co-hosts for this episode. My name is Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief of Nation's Restaurant News. And my name is Leanne Zinsmeister, Managing Editor of Nation's Restaurant News. Once again, joined by my two bosses. Woohoo! Fun for Holly. So don't screw this one up <laughs> like all the other ones. We're just here to keep an eye on you, honestly. That's right. I mean, it's it's fair. I have a candle lit. There's a fire in my apartment. It, it could go very, very wrong. This isn't even going to see the light of day. We're, we're just um, indulging you in this video. This this podcast is never going to go anywhere. Nobody's going to ever hear this. This is just babysitting time for me. You're like, let's take half an hour out of our day to babysit Holly. Make sure we know what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like how you said that you were babysitting yesterday, Sam. Would you like to tell the people about your uh, little babysitting gig? Yeah, I had to babysit my children as my wife got her booster shot. And uh, it ended with both of them crying and my daughter crashing her bike. So, yeah, I'm a great parent. I'm, I'm very, <laughs> very proud of myself. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, we had a big company wide meeting immediately after. So I wasn't stressed at all. Wasn't stressed at all. Nope. He told Leanne and I separately that he was babysitting and we individually without speaking to each other said, isn't that called parenting? So, uh, (laughs) I mean, not between nine to five and nine to five, it's babysitting. Not only do you call it babysitting, but it sounds like you're pretty bad at it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in my defense, at least I didn't stick them in front of a screen and call it a day. I did take them out into, it was 60 degrees, lovely day. I took them outside. We went on a bike ride. It was nice until everything just sort of spiraled. Sounds like it would have been better to take them and put them right in front of a screen. Yes. Yeah, probably. Less tears. Safer for everyone, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, I feel like the perfect way to wrap up the year is for you to be talking about your children. Um, That is one of our common themes across the show. (laughs) We'll wrap it up with you talking about your favorite New York restaurants. How's that sound? Uh, What do you think I'm doing tonight? My mom is coming in and we're going to the Union Square Market uh, to do Christmas things. And then we're going to one of those little huts at Lafayette, like that little like Lafayette Christmas Village. And we're going to go sit in one of those for dinner. So... As someone who is fresh off of visiting the Bryant Park market, and I don't know if I said that correctly, you two tell me since you were there as well. I approve. I I like these little markets that New York has. Very Christmassy. I I can see, Leanne, why you are so obsessed with Christmas, because New York is a very magical place as it relates to Christmas. Thank you for the validation. 
You're welcome. I have a heart of stone and I almost cried at one point during our Christmas festivities. So I feel like it was a real win for Leanne. She really had a good Christmas list. So follow that list from last week if you are looking for a fun time. It wasn't even on the list. Those I, I didn't know about those lights. That was like a bonus. The lights on the Saks building. Saks Fifth was, Avenue. Yeah, total, total bonus. That was what almost made you cry, right? That was what almost made me cry. I was teary-eyed. It was powerful. It was powerful. It was a beautiful moment. All right. Well, now that we've covered New York and children and Christmas for Leanne, so we really covered all three of our, our things. Our That's a wrap, folks. That's a wrap. <laughs> we'll call it a day. Yeah. I... Anyway, our interview this week. <laughs> um, let's talk about some of the biggest news of the year. It was a slow news week, so we get kind of get to wrap up. This is our last show of the year. Um, so let's wrap up what happened this year. Uh, what do you guys think was the biggest story of the year? I know that's kind of a tough question. We had a lot of big news this year. We had a lot of mergers and acquisitions. We had a lot of IPOs come out. I mean, what do you guys think was some of the biggest news of the year? Doesn't have to be the single story. Yeah, you know, I was looking at um, all the mergers and acquisitions in preparation for this conversation. And of course, we've been talking a lot about some of the big ones lately. Fat Brands, everything they've done, Jack in the Box, um, RBI and Firehouse. But a year ago, the biggest M&A news that we were following was NPC International's bankruptcy and selling off all of their units, which was a saga that went on for about six months. Um, in March, everything was finally finalized and they sold off their most of their Pizza Hut and Wendy's units to Flynn Restaurant Group, sold some other Wendy's units to some other franchisees and to the Wendy's company. Um, and then I haven't frankly thought about it since March, but you know, a year ago that was taking up, I think most of our brain space as far as work was concerned. So a lot has really gone on this year. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to um, it's hard to pinpoint any one big headline, but I do think that the M and A activity has been the most. I don't know if you want to call it seismic change of the year, but I think definitely the most noteworthy thing to have happened this year, um, and all of those um, acquisitions that Leanne just mentioned being definitely the biggest. I mean, Fat Brands for me, I think, is one of the most interesting, um, and, and I won't belabor the point here. We've talked as we've talked about Fat Brands, but um, you know, just the fact that Fat Burger was kind of a—I don't want to call it a nobody. I mean, they were they were a you know respe respectable burger player, um, but to really just kind of feels like come out of nowhere and just become start to become kind of this almost behemoth of a restaurant group was was a big surprise that I didn't necessarily see coming in 2021. Um, you know, whereas the Del Taco Firehouse Subs acquisitions make a lot of sense, I think, on, you know, for, for what they are. And um, and but still, I, I think we'll look back on this year in the M&A, all of the M&A activity, not just those acquisitions, um, not just those major acquisitions, but a lot of the smaller ones too. I mean, at the beginning of the year, I think the first one of the year, according to our gallery, was the Capriati's uh, acquiring Wing Zone, and I think that's very emblematic of the potential that's out there. Not just the RBI acquiring Firehouse Subs, just like okay, yeah, I makes sense. And go listen to more in my interview with Don Fox at Takeaway with Sam Ocas if you if you care to learn more. <laughs> um, but but you know, the Capriati's acquiring Wing Zone to me was more like you know this is more what I would expect, and I do think you'll continue to see, which is you know, not an obvious huge player acquiring a, another kind of interesting um, brand concept. You look at some others out there. Um, I think, was it this year that um, Tokaya and Tender Greens 
um, merged. You know, that's another one that I think is very interesting. I don't think it was this year, but the modern restaurant concepts from, I think it was last year with Lemonade and Modern Market. Those are the kinds of things that I find really interesting just because, you know, you kind of bring together these up and coming brands um, that, that I, I think can, you know, bring a lot to the table together and, and, you know, punch above their weight together. Um, and, and so just generally there's so much money in the market right now. Um, and I guess the, the last thing I would say about sort of biggest thing of the year was all these IPOs. I mean, you know, I, did we ended up at five or six, I, I forget, but, um, seven. just an, inc- se- okay. I was way off seven. Here we go. Um, way it's just off. like, whew, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to let you guys take it from here because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's so between the IPOs and the acquisitions, just proof that um, there's just a lot of money in the market today, a lot of interest um, in the restaurant space, a lot of bets for the future, I think you could say, um, which probably last year we did see coming just because we knew as we kind of turned a corner with the pandemic, this would happen. There would be a lot of interest in the space. But just how much we saw, I think, was probably the biggest surprise for me. Yeah. The other thing about the Capriati's Wing Zone, so that was almost exactly a year ago. It was January 3rd, they announced it. And they just released a business update yesterday, and both brands added dozens of units this year. Um, So it just seems to be like that model is working. And I think you're right, Sam, that we'll see more of it in the future. Um, just now, out of curiosity, I looked up what our most read story of the year was. Um, so not necessarily the biggest, but the one that drew the most interest from our readers out there. And it was Denny's announcement of its virtual brands, mm. uh, which was also last January. They announced that they would offer two virtual brands, and then we covered that story throughout the year. Uh, and I think that's also, you know, really shows what's going on in the restaurant industry in 2021 specifically, you know, two years ago, would you have thought this would be generating as much interest as it is, but everyone wants to know who's doing what in the virtual space and how can they make it work? So. And I think Denny's was an interesting player to move into the virtual space into family dining, going into a virtual brand is, is an interesting move because family dining, you typically think you take a family, you sit down, it's an experience. And so I think that that was probably what interested people in, in getting to know why Denny's was doing this and what the brands were like. And the fact of bringing food home to kids when, you know, you really want them to be entertained out, but sometimes it can be, Sam knows, sometimes it can be a big deal to take kids out and it can be uh, a lot of work. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that I, I think there's a maturity to the virtual brand space this year that happened. Um, in, I mean, definitely 2021, if you want to call it the year of something, I do think the year of the virtual marketplace feels right because um, what started in 2020, it, it matured in 2021 and, and, and I think really found its footing um, in terms of there was a novelty to it in 2020 and that I think in 2021, speaking of like a Denny's, you know, I think it went from it went from this is a curiosity that might save us from the pandemic to a hey we've got this kitchen space and the resources available here to be able to dip our toes in the virtual brand waters let's give it a shot but let's take it seriously let's develop some you know actual you know interesting concepts that resonate with our consumer base or not our consumer base obviously I mean virtual brands part of it's tapping into new consumer bases and so there's a real maturity to that market this year that. 
I'm really interested to see where it goes next year. I mean, a lot of the virtual players like NextBite and um, virtual dining concepts, we saw them grow their capabilities this year. We also saw some, you know, some challenges, right? I mean, I think what we're seeing with Reef right now is really fascinating and they power a lot of virtual brands. You know, we're seeing issues with um, licensing and permitting issues, seeing problems with um, quality. Um, I think they'll figure that out. This has grown so fast, so quickly that, um, you know, I know that there was always going to be some headaches along the way. Um, so we'll see how that transpires in 2022. But virtual brands definitely, uh, I think, kind of established themselves as a permanent part of the industry this year. And if there's one last thing I would just throw out too that is interesting is um, the resurgence of casual dining. I think that was one that maybe we didn't see coming as much as it has has happened. Um, you know, really thinking, looking at 2021, comparing it to 2020, and what we expected the pandemic to do to the restaurant industry, some of those things have come to fruition. Obviously, the digitization of the industry, virtual brands, those things have really um, emerged as permanent restaurant fixtures. But I think we were all predicting the demise of full service dining. And, you know, now we're seeing no, like that's that's not true. And casual dining in particular, it's, it's the full serviceness of it is not what's coming back necessarily. The off-premises is what's really helping it. Um, but I do think too, it was way too early to, um, to you know, call the death of full service just because people are going back to restaurants. They do want to get back into, um, into dining rooms and, um, and, and full service brands in general, I think just have really leveraged a lot of the um, new innovations and opportunities out there that um, they, they've come back much quicker than we ever thought they could have. Well, and we're seeing a lot of brands, emerging brands especially, who are growing 10, 15, 20 units this year, doubling in size, all brick and mortar. I mean, we're, we're seeing growth in brick and mortar. People are growing. They're seeing people come back to restaurants. They want, they want to keep having people come into restaurants and they're growing to expand with that. I mean, Leanne talked about uh, Capriati's growing and and how they're adding new units. And so, I mean, we talk about places like Hip City Veg doubling in size, um, Velvet Tacos doubling in size, like all these places that are emerging that are going from 20 to 40 units or um, Just Salad just hit its 50th unit. Like these places are growing brick and mortar. They, they are seeing the traffic, they're growing in size, but they're also seeing the money come in. Juice It Up is growing in size. We've seen all these, we post on our website all the time, 10 unit franchise deal, five unit franchise deal, 20 unit franchise deals. I mean, people want to grow physically. And I think that that's still important to note in, in light of all of this virtual brand and which is huge. The virtual brand space is huge and it's great and it's growing and there's really exciting things happening there. But you know, brick and mortar and eating in person is not dead and it's never going to die uh, in spite of what we all thought last year. Yeah, I think two, two, um, I think that's a great point, Holly. And I think that two, two things I would add to that um, are, you know, one is a way in which I think we are correct in 2020, which is that growth has been around more um, smaller footprints. I think Velvet Taco is a good example of uh, of a restaurant that um, their growth has now been redirected around. Um, you know, they're doing drive through now. They're I think they're prioritizing you know more efficient units and not just you know restaurants with big dining rooms. And that was something that I think we suspected in 2020 would happen. And in 2021, in some of this emerging brand growth, I think we are indeed seeing that play out. And in even major chain growth, I think people were just 
there's a lot more of an uh, of a um, understanding of how you can run an efficient restaurant concept in smaller space. And so we're seeing that happen. But one of the other things I th- think in which we were wrong in 2020 was that it would be the big chains that had the, you know, were the big winners out of this. And while a lot of the big chains have done very well out of this, I think to your point, Holly, I don't think the emerging chains, the, a lot of the emerging chains did just as well. Um, you know, in the end, it was the independents, the mom and pops that suffered the most, as, as we all know. Um, but I do think we, we all wondered if emerging chains would struggle too. And I don't think they did because there's always interest in innovation and quality. And those emerging brands are the ones that are really bringing that the most. And, and so, yes, they're, they're growing. And, and to your point, Holly, that's, that growth is both virtually and in brick and mortar because people do still want to go out and experience them. You know, talking about what we got right and what we got wrong, we um, we made predictions for next year, trend predictions for what we think we're going to see, what experts have told us that they're going to see. Um, it's going to be up on the website before January. Um, so definitely check it out. But can you guys can you guys tell us a little bit about what was in that package, what the NRN editors you know predicted for the next year? Give us a little sneak peek. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, so we broke it down into five themes. And so we had um, menu trends, uh, technology trends, customer experience trends, emerging concept trends, and a fifth one that fails me. Um, I will think of it as I continue to talk. Um, but, you know, I think that um, I think what was key to it was there was a lot of there were a lot of trends that I don't think were necessarily new. They were just sort of further, um, they were further developed ideas that have been around, but right now I think are becoming more of a, a reality. So one I would point to is robotics. We've been talking about robotics forever. Uh, well, not forever, but let's call it five, six years, right? We've been talking about, realistically speaking, robots come, becoming a part of the restaurant operation. But now we're not just talking about it as novelty, futuristic stuff. We're talking about it as legitimately you're adding this to your restaurant operation to um, to make your business more efficient. And so one that um, I believe was, I believe Ron um, mentioned this in one of the trends that he wrote about was um, robotic bartenders. And, you know, I, that would have not been the first place I jumped to as far as what should we do with robots. But it makes a lot of sense to put to have automated bartending because I mean, ultimately you have this product that is very much a, I don't want to say it's an easy operation, but it makes a lot of sense to make a cocktail with the robot, whether or not there is a show of it or not, it's because measured. that's a, and it's measured. It's, it's it's measured. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. And, so, and, it, and it's high volume. I mean, at certain uh, you know hours of the day, we're talking high volume um, business. And so if you automate that, um, the, the potential of that's just incredible. I mean, of course, you talk about autonomous delivery vehicles are a big part of this as well. But anyway, the point is, is that, you know, that was emblematic of so many of these other trends, which is like, it's not going to surprise you. But I think what will surprise you is how much this stuff is actually going to be a part of the restaurant operation in 2022, not just uh, a fantasy or a novelty. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask also- you... No, Leanne, go ahead, because my question is a little deep. So you go first. Okay, I was just going to point out another trend that uh, multiple of our editors predicted for next year, which has to do with the layout of restaurants, like the physical space. Um, And we've written about this a lot in 2021. But dining areas are shrinking to make space for 
delivery people to come in and pick up food and for customers to just pick up their food. Restaurants are adding so many drive-through lanes. I mean, not just QSRs, but for example, Chipotle, Shake Shack, both experimenting with drive-throughs. Taco Bell is opening a prototype with four drive-through lanes for different purposes. Um, and that's something that we're just gonna see continue to change and evolve. All right. What's now, your deep question? My deep question. I was just going to use a really deep voice when I said it and just get very intimate. What do you guys think about? Uh, <laughs> what do you guys think about the future of IPOs and mergers and acquisitions in 2022? I mean, these were the biggest things we saw in 2021. But what do you guys think the future of them is going to be in 2022? I mean, we talk about how a lot of these things gain steam and they keep going. Will they keep going in the new year or will they kind of stop and halt for a while? I think that we'll definitely in 2022 um, see a lot more activity there. Um, you know, it's funny. You see these this this stuff come in cycles. I mean, it was five or six years ago that you saw IPOs were really hot. Um and a bunch of you know restaurants were running that direction, but then a couple of years ago, it was not hot. People were you know it, th that seemed like you actually wanted to go the opposite direction that you wanted to um, you know chase private capital. But um, and with the acquisitions as well, I mean a lot of it obviously has to do with sort of the economic realities. And I, I think economically speaking, we're obviously in a weird place because we're in this place of high inflation. Um, you know, we we still don't know what happens when some of the um, you know, some of the government handouts start to reverse. And as you, you know, they're, they're, you know, the government, you, clearly I'm not a great authority on this, but the government's going to start to, um, you know, enact some measures like higher interest rates that are, are going to combat inflation. And that could have a big impact on the economy. And whatever the impact that has on the economy, I think that will really dictate, you know, how much M&A activity and um, stock market activity you see from the restaurant industry. But in the immediate term, I do think that it will continue because um, the reality is there's just a lot of money out there right now available for restaurant companies. There's a lot of interest in this. Um, a lot of investors who are hungry for, you know, jumping on this bandwagon. And so long as that interest is there, companies are going to be out there taking advantage of it. One of the last things I would say about this is, you know, I think it became a popular thing in 2020 to talk about the roaring 20s. And if you haven't, you know, heard that, uh, you know, already, the it's a reference to the fact that after the pandemic of the, the Spanish flu pandemic, um, there was the roaring 20s. And so this idea that, you know, what follows this big crisis is, uh, you know, this period of unprecedented economic activity, which of course was followed by the Great Depression, but we won't get into that. And, you know, a lot of folks thought, well, what's going to be on the other side of the COVID pandemic is going to be the roaring 20s, um, which, you know, I, remains to be seen TBD because the pandemic, the COVID pandemic is going on way longer, I think, than anybody thought. Clearly no idea when it officially, quote unquote, ends, probably never will formally. Um, point is, is that I don't think we're going to have the roaring 20s quite like everybody expected. But what the reference does, the reference does still hold up in that economically, um, you know, it's it's been a very economically healthy period in the after the worst of the pandemic. And so long as that's the case, I do think restaurants stand to benefit from that on the markets, both private and public. Yeah, and I'll just add that the restaurant space is always big on mergers and acquisitions. 
Um, we had 25 this year. Last year we had 28, and in 2019 there were 34. Um, huh. So I think it feels, and like 25 is nothing to sneeze at. I think it feels more active than maybe it was because so many, I mean, of those big ones we talked about, most of them were in the second half of the year. So it's definitely picking up at this point. But I think restaurants are always going to be big on the M&As no matter what. So in that sense, yes, I do think we'll see that trend in particular continue. And I agree that we'll see IPOs continue until it switches around and we start seeing them all go private again in a couple of years. But way to bring the data, Leanne. That was well done. You did your research. I just I just talk until someone tells me to stop. But you're like, hey, I've got actual numbers. It's almost like this is my job. Yeah, weird. Weird how that works say something dumb and then we just let it roll until I, I see you guys start you rolling guys your eyes get your whole points out and then sweep in with actually that's not right that's accurate that's accurate that's, uh, that's why we keep you around data, so yeah yeah just holding everybody accountable good job i will Thank say you. as a way as a way for us to sign off i will say i tried taco bell for the first time last week changed my life I don't, I really, I, I don't know what to say about this. I'm just, this is what um, growing up in New York does to a person. You don't have Taco Bell. I just, my brain had a hard time with that. I think we should also add that the reason Holly tried Taco Bell last week is because I had it DoorDash to the office at 1030 in the morning. So that's unique, but also a very Taco Bell fact, I think. <laughs> but I, needless to say, I think that that, that we should all eat a different kind of fast food for the podcast every week as a way of bonding during this podcast. There's a 2022. That's a new year's resolution for you. I I think, and I think we should do it and we should review the food every week. That can be one of our, um, Sam's boss uh, suggested yesterday that we should have 43 podcasts. Was that the the implication (laughs) in that town? That was was Uh, a number that was thrown just have a podcast where we eat different kinds of restaurants. Um, but I'll add only if we can expense that. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't, I don't know that our, uh, the powers that be would love to see that expense sheet, but, uh, sure. Let's give it a shot. So maybe for 2022, that's what we're doing. I'm going to bring up that idea and I'm going to sign off now. Thank you for listening, everyone. And now, a word from a sponsor of the episode, Belgioioso Cheese. Belgioioso Cheese is a family-owned and operated company specializing in artisan Italian cheesemaking. Using only natural ingredients and fresh, local Wisconsin milk, master cheesemakers handcraft a full line of exceptional cheeses guided by a commitment to quality and a respect for tradition. Ask your distributor about Belgioioso's award-winning fresh mozzarella, burrata, ricotta, mascarpone, American grana, and parmesan. At Belgioioso, every cheese is a specialty. And now, here's our interview with Nick Graff, executive chef and vice president of culinary at Noodles & Company. Uh, how you doing, Nick Graff? Uh, I'm doing great, man. You know, uh, uh, Noodles is, is rolling along nicely. We're having, uh, so far we've had a pretty good year. And uh, it's an exciting year for us, a lot of new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been at Noodles now? I've been with Noodles almost eight years now. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, you've had a uh, busy 
several years, you guys have sort of done the barbell approach of introducing items that are better for, for you, like the zoodles and the cauliflutles. I don't, I don't know if they're actually called cauliflutles, but your CEO, Dave Benninghausen, likes to call them that. So, so that's cool. But you're also, you also have all these uh, stuffed pastas that uh, are good for you in the sense that they make you happy, but you know, they're, they're calorific. Yeah, you know, uh, 2018, we launched that Zoodle. Uh -huh. uh, in fact, uh, you joined us out there in, uh, in New York to, for a big event there. Yeah, it was and, fun. Uh, that was so well received uh, and, and so timely. Uh, I think uh, sometimes you get lucky, you know. Uh, it wasn't really a hot trend yet. Where it was kind of a, it's an inception stage. Uh, but we happened to land it just at the right time. And uh, our guests loved it. And it was the best thing about it was, is there were so many, uh, there's so many people out there that, that avoid the pasta because they're trying to avoid carbs. You know, it's, it's a big no-no for them. And, and this opened the door for them to be able to come into noodles, enjoy the, the array of flavors that we offer. Because, uh, you know, you know this, we have all kinds of uh, sauces that come from, you know, influences around the globe. Uh, so the Zoodle was, was really kind of the beginning of, you know what? Uh, we can we can we can do a healthy category. We can do something that that um, takes care of that no vote at times. So we followed that up with the cauliflower, uh, which uh, is is uh, it, it's a traditional wheat noodle, but it, you know half of it's made with cauliflower, and so you reduce the amount of carbs in there. Uh, you're getting a full serving of vegetable, and that that was well received. Um, so you know we, we had a heavy focus on on health this last couple of years. Then uh, this year, we thought, you know what, we kind of ignored our, our classic category for a little while here. Stuffed pasta is something that, that hands down is the, probably the number one thing people ask for at Noodles & Company. Why don't you have a stuffed pasta? And so we, we did some research uh, with an outside firm. Uh, we figured out what we wanted to do. We, we really wanted something that was a little bit unique, not just a ravioli, not a tortellini, so we went with the big, we went with the big old tortellonis uh, because uh, we think that just they, they look beautiful in the bowl. They hold on the sauce so nicely, and uh, yeah, it, that ended up being the biggest rollout I think the company's ever experienced in terms of guest appeal. Um, it drew in uh, people that maybe weren't coming to us, lapsed guests. You know, they, maybe they just wanted something new and different. Who knows? Uh, but then. Uh, Lo and behold, it also brought in nine users. So, what a what a great rollout for us. I mean, uh, it again, like I said, sometimes you get lucky, uh, and sometimes the research says this was the right thing to do, and it works out. So, and in the case of the the tortelloni, I it was it was research, right? That you know, your customers were requesting it. You had an outside firm sort of figure it out. And then with the zoodles, in case anybody doesn't understand, that stands for zucchini noodles, which aren't noodles at all. That's zucchini that's shaped like noodles. Yeah, but it acts like a noodle, which is great. Right. And that that did, had an even bigger effect on laps guests and non-users because they were just staying away from us, away from us for that very reason. We didn't have a vegetable option. Uh, so, yeah, that that... You know, we credit that with really kind of we we were kind of in the doldrums before that, mm -hmm. uh, from a you know from a company perspective. 
this, the, the Zoodle, we credit it with really kind of the turning point where we started getting momentum and it was quick momentum. Um, and we continue to build on that momentum. You know, we, uh, this, last, this year we rolled out a cauliflower gnocchi in January um, and ran that for several months. Uh, again, very popular. It was, it was gluten-free um, and it was made with cauliflower. And I'll tell you what, Brett, had the texture of real gnocchi. Wow. Uh, so was it all cauliflower or, or did it have potato mixed in or other gluten-free stuff? Or? Yeah, it was a, a potato and cauliflower-based gnocchi. And, uh, you know, we rolled it out with a signature dish. We have this uh, roasted garlic cream. We felt that it would really pair nicely with it. And uh, it, was, it was very, very well received. Um, we did take it off the menu in May. Um, uh, not May, I'm sorry, in October. Uh, part of that had more to do with, uh, with, with the staffing crunch that you have, we're all experiencing today, everybody's experiencing it. Uh, we had to do some streamlining to make things easier for our operators. Um, and so it was, a, it was a casualty of that, but, but quite honestly, I could very easily see that coming in as an LTO in and out on a regular basis, because uh, it definitely had appeal with the guest. So why was it a casualty? Was it, is it a more labor intensive thing or did you just need to kind of cut, cut skews and menu items? Um, a little bit of everything, mm -hmm. uh, cut skews, uh, the, the searing of the pan, there's a technique to that. So the cook has to pay close attention to that. Um, and uh, there's some prep up front that they have to do. And so it was, it's really just about what can we take off the menu here that, 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 Will not that will impact our operators in a positive way that we feel good that you know it could be a short-term removal we can bring it back someday down the road as an LTO um, and, and you know honestly I think Noki on our menu is probably an LTO it's probably yeah. not a long-term menu item yeah I would think if your customers come in and there's no gnocchi there there are other options there are other colafudo options there are uh, actual pasta options. Uh, although I guess gnocchi and potatoes together or cauliflower and potatoes together, that counts as pasta. That's legit. Is, is there anything operationally challenging about using zucchini instead of noodles? Um, yeah, there is actually. Um, when we rolled that out, we, uh, when we rolled the test off of that, we had a real quick uh, slap in the face, I call it. Um, what was happening was in the restaurants when they were cooking the zoodles up, they were Bleed, they're bleeding a lot, they're purging a lot of water into the sauce. And so it was diluting the flavors. Uh, so we quickly shifted gears and what we, do, what we did is we ended up uh, curing our, our zoodles. We actually soaked them in, uh, after we spiralized them, because we cut those in house also, that's another part that's a little bit labor intensive. Uh, but we salt them and we let them sit in the cooler for a good 45 minutes and that gets all the water out of them. Then we took, then we rinse them just like you do salad greens and salad spin them. Huh. And, uh, and what we end up with is a product that has less water in it. So it doesn't, it doesn't dilute the sauces. The salt gets rinsed out when we, when we rinse and we end up with a, a, a far superior product. And I will tell you, um, I've eaten, I eat, anytime I see zoodles on a menu somewhere else, we always check it out. We like to compare notes. Mm -hmm. Almost always people are missing that step. I mean, it's a little trick there that really, makes that, that product shine. Does it also help make the zucchini taste more like zucchini? It does. Yeah, you're right. It, it improves the flavor of the zucchini. It actually also, I'm not sure, you know, I don't know the science behind this, but it keeps it crispier. Like it doesn't get, um, it doesn't get soft and wilted. Hmm. Well, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, really cool. 
So, you know, you learn from a slap in the face. You learn, you know, that thing you just did, don't do that. Yeah. Hey, whatever this that might be. I think we learn better from failure than success. So totally. Yeah. I, I always uh, tell people if they give me negative feedback that I'm, I'm glad for that because positive feedback's nice. You know, we all need that, but you don't necessarily learn anything from that negative feedback. You always learn something, for even sure. if it's that the person complaining is incorrect, which is sometimes the case. Right. Usually not, but sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Well, the guest is always right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, people say that. I don't know if I'm convinced of that, but sure. Yes. Certainly tell them that. You are right. Let us give you back your money or whatever. Yep. Um, so you make uh, the zoodles in-house. I, I assume the pasta is not made in-house, or is it? No. Uh, our, depending on what noodle we're talking about, mm -hmm. it could be a dry noodle, like our penny is a dry noodle. Um, or if you look at some of our Asian noodles, like the udon noodle, that's a fresh frozen noodle. And so is our lo mein, it's fresh frozen. Um, the rice noodles are a dried one. Uh, it's probably a 50-50 blend when, it, when you really get down to it of, of some are fresh frozen and then some are, uh, are dry noodles. And so the, the zoodles were really a, uh, a new sort of operational thing that, that everybody had to figure out. Sure was, yeah. It was a bit of a learning curve for everybody. You know, at that at that party where you you launched them, or at least told me about them, you you handed out spiralizers, which I I gave away because I don't I'm not going to spiralize zucchini at home. I, I dice it and saute yeah. it, but I'm not well, trying to serve the masses. I'm just serving me. Yeah, and the nice thing is it had our label on there, so whoever you gave it to is probably looking for a noodles and company. Oh, well, that's great. I'm sorry that I gave it to somebody in New York because there's not a noodles and company nearby. Uh, there's one on Long Island. Okay. Yeah. Good. That's good to know in case I need some noodles and company noodles. How about in terms of the stuffed pasta? Uh, did that, that stuff is also produced, I'm guessing, fresh frozen, probably? You're right. Yes, it's a fresh frozen product. Um, and uh, it's, 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 it's a manufacturer we, we've used in the past, Luisa. Um, we have a good partnership with them. Uh, we're actually contemplating, because of the success of that item, uh, we're actually contemplating now engineering um, a protein-filled one. So, we're, yeah, my team's just now starting work on that. Right now they're stuffed with cheese, right? Yeah, it's a four-cheese blend with some roasted onions in there, caramelized onions. It's pretty tasty. And it's pretty What? Sorry, say that again? It's a pretty tasty tortelloni. I, I would sounds like it, and and it's performed well, right? It has performed very well. We start, we offer it with three of our traditional preparations. You can get it with the rosa preparation, which is you know it's our spicy tomato cream with tomatoes and mushrooms and fresh spinach, or you can get it with the pesto, um, or you could get it with the roasted garlic cream. Uh, that one has roasted zucchini in it with mushroom, roasted mushrooms. So you know this we, we've got three different varieties that you can get it with, and then. You could certainly put Alfredo on it if you wanted to. I mean, there's, the beautiful thing about our menu is you can customize everything any way you want. I mean, if you wanted to put pad Thai sauce on it, I suppose you could. Um, I'm not sure it tastes good, but. Hey, the customer's always right. That's right. Uh, so were there was there anything special that you had to figure out to, to do a pasta filling? That is kind of a new thing for Noodles and Company to do. Um, you, you know, 
interestingly enough, it wasn't wasn't as difficult as we thought it was going to be. Um, the one thing, um, the way we have our kitchen set up, um, if you order something off our saute line, saute line, for example, the procedure for all of our dishes is identical. So it was really just making sure that the size of the tortelloni would actually get hot all the way through using our current procedure. And fortunately it did. Um, now this past year we rolled out, we're rolling out steamers. We're still in process on this. But one of the things is we rolled out steamers. Um, and there was a little bit of a learning curve there with that one. We had to put a longer steam time on that one to get that noodle going. Um, but the steamers, the whole intent of the steamer is, um, so when you come into our restaurant, let's say you order a penny rosa. We're gonna take your noodles and the vegetables for your penny rosa. We're gonna give them uh, 20 seconds of this superheated steam. They call it dry steam. Um, and the reason they do that is uh, because it doesn't condensate to the food, doesn't add moisture. It just gets things hot. And so you're jump-starting the cook process. Is in fast casual, part of the name is fast. And so uh, we're, we're always looking for ways to get our food out quicker. Well, what we found is by doing this, we actually cut our cook times down a good 30%. Uh, so yeah, significant. And the best part of it is because there's, it's timed, you take the control out of the cook's hand in terms of how long, because before they were, they were cooking that stuff with vegetable broth off sec. And you know, that could get burned um, or that could get underdone. The steamer puts a regimented time to it. So the vegetables are vibrant. They all come out the same temperature and the food comes out the same speed. Wicked fast. Wow. So, so, so how hot is the steam? Um, it's, you know, I haven't put a thermometer to it, but I'll tell you what, I've got my hand in there and, and man, it's, it's hot. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. Nick. Yeah. That's, not, that's not good. But it has to be, so it's super hot. So it doesn't even have time to condense. It just. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's well in the high two hundreds easily. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. I mean, it has to be two twelve, obviously, or it's on steam. But yeah, um, and so how 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 has that rolling out of the steamers been going? You guys have been doing it for more than a year at this point, right? Yeah, it's it's going really well. Um, I, I can tell you. So we tested it probably about three years ago in ten locations in Columbus, and I remember. Um, we we kind of came to the conclusion, we kind of put the cart before the horse, so we backed up a little bit here and pulled that test out. And I remember the operators saying, no, 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 don't take that away, we like that. Um, because, you know, before they're dunking pastas, if they're in the noodle station, they're sauteing on one side. Um, and the thing with dunking is they have to remember to take it out, they gotta get it well drained. Uh, they uh, made a mess of the floor sometimes. The steamers were clean, they did things efficiently, and so, when, when we pulled them out, they were very disappointed. Um, but the nice thing is that they came back and we actually came back to the, um, the, the manufacturer we're working with has a new version of the steamer that's much improved, easier to maintain. Um, the field has loved it. Um, it's just made their, it's made their jobs easier. They don't get behind it during the lunch crunch because the plates are, the cook, the cook times are so quick. Um, they can keep up now. Uh, in fact, it's, it's the expo guy who's got to be on, on his game because, uh, once that food comes up, he's got to get, you know, garnished, lit it and out. Wow. So how, how are, do different customers order the uh, zoodles compared to the stuffed pasta, the more indulgent stuff, or is it more the same customers on different days? 
there's probably a little bit of crossover in there for sure. Um, but uh, I think the Zoodle customer is definitely, anybody who orders from that category or Zoodle's, another, uh, Zoodles and Calafoodles category, um, they're probably uh, new to the brand um, or, or they, they were new to the brand when we launched uh, because uh, it's really pulled in a, a crowd that wasn't coming to us. Um, and I do think there's probably occasionally when they want something indulgent, they probably venture into that tortelloni. Uh, the tortelloni has really reached just about everybody else on the you know within the menu itself in terms of a mix. It's it's uh, it's been phenomenal. And, and you know I'll be honest with you, launching in May, um, in the back of my head I'm thinking hmm, going into summer is this going to really move? You know it's you know it's an indulgent item. People are thinking healthy at that time of year, but you know what? They didn't care. <laughs> uh, they didn't care at all. Um, it was, it was, it was the second highest mixing item outside of mac and cheese. Mac and cheese is always at the top, you know. It, it owns the menu, um, but it was the second highest mixing item in the menu. It crushed it. Well, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting that you know forever noodles and company has been about global flavors and all of this stuff, but people still are like, nope. I mean, there's, they say yes sometimes, but mostly they say mac and cheese. Yeah. We use this phrase every now and, now and then in the building. It actually came from the consultant we're working with. Um, and I love this phrase. Uh, it's stretch the noodle. Ah. Um, what, we, what we mean by that is take it places where maybe you wouldn't have thought to go. Think outside the box. Right. You know, so, that, you know, we have something in test right now. I can't tell you about it because it's a big secret, big surprise. I'll find out eventually. You will, yep. Um, but we've engineered a noodle that is going to um, go against all conventional wisdom when people see it. And they're, they're going to, wow, how did they do that? Uh, but we've been working on it now for two and a half years. That's how long it took us to get it there. Whoa. So it's in test now. I'm going to guess it's a protein noodle. but Well, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Good. Good. I don't want to get you fired, Nick. That's not that's not my job. As you said, you've been at Noodles and Company for about eight years now. What what were you doing before that? Uh, before that, I spent a short stay over Quiznos. Uh, spent about eighteen months over there helping them, uh, you know, work on their menus. They were at the time they were trying to clean some stuff up, and so I spent some time over there. But then before that, I was with uh, Rock Bottom Restaurants for good fifteen years. Um, and I would say over there, I was company spackle. They put me wherever they needed me. I started out as a chef there, went into training, I got into R&D. Um, I pretty much did everything over there, which was fantastic. Uh, you know, when you're working on breweries and then, they, you know, they own old Chicago and Chop House and Walnut Breweries. So there's a lot of opportunity over there to learn a lot in the development world. It's a great, and, great place. And how did you end up working at chain restaurants? Usually when somebody, you know, starts cooking and they don't think, I'm going to be an R&D chef, even though it's probably the coolest job for chefs. And it's nine to five. Yeah, exactly. When you got a family, that's important. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm from Southern California. I grew up in San Diego. Um, and when I lived in San Diego, I was all independent restaurants. You know, it just, that's just what I did. Um, I got hooked up with a small rest, brewery restaurant group. They had like four restaurants and one in La Jolla. And um, so I worked in La Jolla store. Uh, so I guess you could call that multi-unit four restaurants. I ended up helping them run a lot of other restaurants. Um, but then rock bottom, uh, a friend of mine that worked, one of our chefs actually left us to work for 
he was interviewing with Rock Bottom. He was also interviewing with um, Wolfgang for Puck Cafes. Mm. And he took the job at Puck Cafes. Rock Bottom said, do you know anybody? And the next thing I know, I get a call from Rock Bottom saying, hey, we want to we talk to you. And the weird thing is, ever since then, I've never, I've never applied for a job since then. I've always been solicited. Um, so I've always been thankful for that um, because obviously I've made an impression on somebody along the line, wherever I'm at. It's always a good feeling. Yeah. Um, but that's, so it just sort of started small and got big. And you're based in Broomfield, Colorado, is that right? Broomfield, we're just outside of Boulder. And so you moved to Colorado, or was Rock Bottom also in the Denver area? It was, yeah. It was, um, it was actually, um, our offices were one exit away from the exit I get off here for, for Noodles and Company. Gosh, that's easy. You don't even have to change your muscle memory. No, interestingly enough, there's actually a few brands like within these two exits here. You know, so it's, or there were at one time. They're, they've all kind of moved around a little bit now, but yeah. So what, are there, are there plans for Noodles and Company that you can share with me that aren't a secret? Um, that was a fair answer. Yeah, there are. Um, so, so in February, uh, so our, our rollouts, we, we do what's called trimester rollouts. We have three rollouts a year. Mm -hmm. um, typically two of them are pretty, pretty significant food rollouts. And then maybe the ones maybe not so much significant on, on food as much as it is on um, operational stuff. Um, sometimes we'll drop a little something. And this year, in 2022, we actually do have three food initiatives that are going to land. Uh, the first one is in February. And I, I know I can tell you about this because um, it's, it's, done, it's done. Um, we're going to refresh our salad category. Sorry, what um, category? Our salad category. Salad? Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's been a while. I think the last refresh we did on this probably three or four years ago. Um, and it's time to freshen it up and get a little more on trend. Uh, so we've got a, we've got a new Asian apple salad. We're going to, we're going to launch, um, along with, um, a Mexican street corn salad. So that's coming there. And then that, that fun little noodle that I kind of hinted toward is going to happen hopefully in May. It's in test right now and looks good. looks promising for May. Um, and then we, we, We've been looking at plant-based protein, uh, trying to understand that. Uh, you know, Noodles has always had a, some good options to eat plant-based. We have that organic, the seasoned organic tofu that people can, can it's actually got a pretty good following. Um, so we did some panels actually just in the last week and a half uh, to kind of see where it goes. And we brought in some of the big players that, you know, to see what they, what, how their product would fare against the tofu. And it was interesting what we learned was you're not going to move the tofu player off of onto the new, the new uh, plant-based protein. So we won't lose, if we keep tofu, we won't lose that guest, but it, we're trying to decipher whether we'll gain a new guest uh, because a lot of the guests said they would migrate from our current protein to maybe this. And they said it was more maybe one, once every time they come in, some are every three times. It was kind of interesting to see, uh, but plant-based protein is something that we're, we're exploring right now. And if, if that, comes to fruition that will probably happen later in the year of 2022. Well, it does raise the question, like, why would you do it if people are just going to migrate from one menu item to another, especially right. since the plant-based protein probably costs more. Yeah, it, it does cost more. Um, we're going to, what we're going to do is going to stick in a small pocket of restaurants 
and see how it responds. You know, what, what happens to tofu really? You know, because that's the other thing is when you're sitting in a panel, you know this, um, people are writing down what they're saying what they'll do. Let yeah. see what they really do. Um, so we'll stick at a few restaurants and, and just see how that how it interacts and plays with the menu. Uh, because, you know, the other concern too is if that guest does migrate from tofu, um, are we creating a waste scenario for both products? Right. Um, lot, there's a lot to understand. And another skew without an added benefit. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I hear a lot of stories of people trying the plant-based protein because that's fun and new and whatever. And they're like, oh, that's okay. And then they go back to beef or chicken or pork or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and we've seen some big brands go out with it and pull back. And so, you know, we're, we're going to work. We are taking a very pragmatic approach and, you know, it's got to, it's got to win or it's, everything's got to earn its place on the menu. It sure does. Well, especially since now I have to ask you about supply chain issues and labor, because that's what everybody is yeah. talking about. Um, have you, I mean, you, you said for the labor crunch, you, you pulled the cauliflower and yoki off the menu. Uh, were there other adjustments you had to have had to make for, for labor issues? Yeah, we, um, we removed uh, our garlic cheesy bread because it's labor intensive. Um, you know, we, we've, um, we've introduced um, a new process for cutting broccoli that's a little faster for them. Uh, just things that, that just make it simpler, you know, find shortcuts. You know, it's, it's using the plunge dicers and doing things like that to, to reduce and not cut to order. Um, the labor crunch is tough, man. It's, you know, I feel for our restaurants and, uh, we're always looking for ways to, to make it easier for them. It's, we have restaurants that are you know running on half the people they should be running on. And so that makes it really tough. You end, you end up modifying hours uh, just to, to be able to staff where you move staff from one location to another. Um, and so there's this, it's like musical chairs right now. Uh, so I'm, I'm hopeful and optimistic um, that um, come 2022, new year, I think I'm hoping people want to get back to work and get out there. And it's the same thing our supply chain deals with. You know, it's, we, we had one manufacturer produces a protein for us. Um, this happened about a month and a half ago where they had the entire night shift just not come in. And mm. so they couldn't produce, they couldn't manufacture a product. So our products delayed there. Then you got to find a trucker to get it to you. You know, they're all, half them are still off. Uh, it's, it's tough right now. I feel, I, our supply team, man, those guys deserve so much credit because we have not had the 86 very much at all, if at all. Um, and but but they're on call 24/7. They get calls on the weekend. Truck didn't show up. Driver didn't come to work. Uh, it's it's uh it's an ongoing uh, conundrum we're all facing, and we're not alone in this. Everybody is. Right, and everybody's wondering where where did everybody go? I mean, because like, if I got tired of working, you know, I'd have to move out of my apartment and you know do a lot of other things. I know I couldn't pay rent, and yet, how are they doing it, Brett? I have no idea. There are so many people that now there are a lot of people that change careers, but but that's still staying in the workforce, right? Um, and then there are those who took early retirement. Uh, I guess I'm happy for them because they were able to do that. I'm not. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But wow. Where did they all go? I hope someday we will find the answer. Me too. 
you know, I was just thinking about a science fiction show I was watching. Oh, American Horror Story, where they just abduct people and impregnate them with with alien creatures. And, uh, you know, they create distractions so that people don't notice how many people are missing. And I'm pretty sure that's not happening. But, you know, where where did they all go? (laughs) They all go. It's, man, I'll tell you, if we could find them all. You know, and, and the other thing this is all created is it's inflated wages, which I'm not, you know, last thing I want to say is, we want to, or first thing I want to say is we want to pay people appropriately, right? Right. But let's, let's face it, I mean, everybody's wages have now been inflated to a level that we're going to have to live with, which means that that cost is going to be passed on somewhere. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, world we live in today, that coupled with inflation, uh, where, where does it all end? Maybe we'll find out. Well, and Noodles and Company, I'm not going to ask you to comment on this because you're the culinary guy, but Noodles and Company has a great record for looking after their employees and, you know, doing the right thing and and encouraging and fostering awesomeness. You you know, our people are our number one resource, uh, and and, and we view it that way. um, uh, Dave uses, he closes a lot of our calls with with a, a phrase that just tells you everything you need to know about Dave and this company. And that is, he tells everybody, take care of yourself, your precious cargo. He truly believes that and feels that way about the people. And that just leads down into the company. It just filters down. It's so unique. Yes. And that is a really nice positive note on which we can wrap up. Thank you so much, Nick Graff, for taking the time to talk to me. And, uh, I hope to see you in real life soon someday. I hope so, Brett. I always enjoy talking with you. I always enjoy, enjoy seeing you. 